Good morning everyone and a happy new year. Great to sense some form of energy. Uh, energy is great, especially on January 2nd. You know, we are all excited about uh, New Year's, isn't it? Uh, I think that when I think about New Year's, I always think about it's a great time to reset. All that was in the past is a mess. Now let's start off. Haven't we ever wished that all the messes that we have created in life, we would just press a reset. And that's what beginnings remind us. Remind, they remind us of what can I do to forget that is behind and then I just want to press on towards something way ahead. I want to forget about it because it was such a mess. So it's good for restarts. Beginnings are fantastic. Beginnings are amazing. That's why we celebrate birthdays. Uh, fathers and mothers who have children and if their birthdays are not called out, we get in trouble. Birthdays remind us of uh, four parents. They remind us of delivery rooms. Joyful expectation and trepidation going together. Those are very special moments. Everything that we see around has a beginning. Everything that we see around. Does anyone remember or does anyone know when was CBF as a church launched? Any idea? 2007? 2008? 3. Okay, almost you are near there. We started back in 2002 in April. I have no clue. I don't remember which Sunday it was. Was it 7th, 14th, 21st or 28th? But this April we are going to touch 20 years. And when you are going to celebrate the faithfulness of God, beginnings remind us of um, our origin. And like us that had a launch day, there are many other churches that have had a launch day. But can you imagine that there could be, what could be the first church be like? And that's what we are going to explore in um, uh, the sermon today. Uh, this is uh, from Acts chapter 2. Thank you, Brother Abhishek, for reading that out. Acts 1 just gives us a context, but we're going to talk about Acts chapter 2. Um, and if for those of you who are new, we are covering something called the whole counsel of God. We, have, we started this last year in January, and now we are just uh, going to finish in about 12 weeks. So if you guys are a bit lost here and there, hang in there, uh, speak to your friends, uh, get some catch-up, and or maybe just just visit our website and you could probably hear uh, some other stuff. Um, the last one was that, that we covered was on the Great Commission. Brother Joby took us through that. And just as a context, as a back, backdrop, Jesus during his life on earth in John 14, 16, he says this, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. Now after Jesus', Jesus resurrection and before his ascension, uh, Jesus says in Luke 24, 49, and he says, and behold, I'm sending the promise of my father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. The book of Acts begins where the gospel ends. It is written by Dr. Luke, a great historian in my view, very detailed, like most doctors are, and is a continuation of the sequel of the gospel of Luke written to Theophilus. 
Um, the theme verse of the book of Acts is chapter 1, verse 8. That's always the theme verse. And it reads like this, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So after the ascension of Jesus, the disciples waited for about 10 days, after which the Holy Spirit was given on the day of Pentecost. Okay, sorry for all the people on Zoom. I generally don't tend to stand in one place. I've got to move around. So if I'm just off track, uh, th thank you, Brother Philip, for taking care of that. So, so what is Pentecost? If there is any association of that word Pentecost, I just want you to arrest any word associations that you have from any background or for, from any history. We're going to go to scripture. Next to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the day of Pentecost is becoming is, is, is one of the most important day of the church's existence. It's a, it's, 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 it's a very critical day. Pentecost means feast of weeks. Penta, if you remember children, Penta means five. But so Pentecost, Pentecost means 50. Literally, it just means the 50th day after the Passover. So there are three major festivals of the Jews. And after the Passover, the next one that comes is the Pentecost, or today they, cel they celebrate it as Shavuot. Uh, now, this is the time when devout Jews from all over the world, like a Hajj or like a pilgrimage, would come to Jerusalem to celebrate the festival. They were always connected to the, to the heartland. Right? And they wanted to celebrate who God was. So when you hear the word Pentecost, only two things must come to your mind. Jesus made two promises while he was here on earth. And he said that he's going to send two things. One is the Holy Spirit is going to be given on the day of Pentecost. That's promise number one fulfilled. And promise number two is about the church. He said the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And so the church was born on that day. The birth of the church happens happened on the day of Pentecost. So remember, when you think about Pentecost, you're going to think about two things. The Holy Spirit was given, number one, and number two, it was the birth of the church. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to jump into the passage directly. Um, if you have your notes, um, you can fill it up. I hope it's all synced up. I'm not looking at what Kevin is going to do. But let's begin with Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And in Acts 1.4, which we read, And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. The disciples waited. The most difficult thing for us to do in life is waiting. I mean, come on, we don't want to miss out on stuff. I'm always in a hurry. I'll miss the bus, I'll miss the train, I'll miss the metro. I need to go because if I don't go, I am going to miss out on a lot of things. The hardest thing that we are going to struggle with and we'll always struggle with is waiting. As we start this new year, remember, hurry is an enemy to your soul. When Jesus made a promise, they waited. And imagine the disciples when Jesus told them, uh, in, a couple, in, in a few days, just wait. The Holy Spirit will come. Day one, day two, day three, day four. God, where are you? you waiting is so hard. It, it is very difficult. And in Isaiah 40, 31, it's just beautiful when 
the Lord reminds us, but they that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. Waiting is key. As you start this new year, for all the couples, do not give up on your marriage. Sometimes it's hard to love your spouse. Hang in there. Follow the design of the scripture and you will see fulfillment and purpose for your marriage and it will be so beautiful as you grow in intimacy. Don't give up. People who are working, okay, as you start this year, you might have had a terrible boss. All of us have had some terrible bosses in life to sanctify us. Hang in there. Don't give up. Don't give in. Wait for the Lord to direct you. Waiting is beautiful. When your promotions don't come through, waiting is beautiful because the, the Psalms reminds us that exaltation comes from the Lord. It does not come from the East or the West. Trust in God's promises. So here is learning number one. Waiting is always worth it. Waiting is always worth it because we can trust God's promises, methods and timing. It's awesome. It's on track. So obey it irrespective of the outcome. Obey it irrespective of the outcome. Verse 2. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. We must understand how the old, in, in the Old Testament, how did the Holy Spirit work? The Holy Spirit did not work in the way that we are seeing Him today. The Holy Spirit was only given to specific people for a specific time and for a specific task. Once the task was done and the job is over, the Holy Spirit would leave. So for example, the Spirit of God would come upon Gideon and uh, Israel would be delivered. The Spirit of Saul came, uh, the, the, the Spirit of God came upon Saul and he prophesied. The Spirit of uh, uh, God came on David and he did a lot of stuff. Uh, Samson could perform feats of strength because the Holy Spirit came upon him. The work of the Holy Spirit was always different then and it was very limited to specific people and for specific tasks. But now, in the new era of the Holy Spirit, the, uh, he comes on all his disciples who are gathered there. Now, while the coming of the Spirit is an internal thing, this passage talks about three external signs that validate that this is definitively something that is supernatural, that is not ordinary. And as we look at that, I'm going to talk about those three phenomena. One is you see an audible phenomena. Second is you see a visual phenomena. And third, you see a verbal or an oral phenomena. What's the audible phenomena? You, you see the sound of wind. NASB, NASB says violent sound of wind, just like a hurricane. That's not, and, and that noise, I have no clue what that sounds like. I've never been in the US, but uh, you always know that this was uncomfortable. And so if you read through the Old Testament, if you remember at Mount Sinai, how did God appear? Thunder, lightning, clouds. There was a storm. It indicated God's presence. In John chapter 3, when Jesus speaks to Nicodemus, he compares the spirit to the wind. 
right? It's always an indication of uh, the presence of God. The second one is a visible phenomena. The something like tongues of fire came down on each individual person. Now, when they say tongues as of fire, it's not heat. So it's not heat. It's just it's likened something like that. And if you remember how God spoke to Moses, God spoke to Moses through the burning bush, which did not get consumed. So it's something like that. Now again, if you remember that time, uh, Yahweh said to Moses, take off your sandals for the place that is, is holy ground. That's, that indicated Yahweh's presence. And then the third is, you have a verbal phenomena or an oral ph phenomena. Uh, they began to speak in tongues or languages and f we find later in verse 11 uh, that they were praising God for his mighty deeds, mighty works in other human languages they had not learned. So those were the three signs that accompanied the giving of the Holy Spirit in this new and miraculous way. It indicated that it was supernatural and it, and it indicated the presence of God. Verse 5, moving on. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was speaking in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language, dialectos, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and other parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. The whole world, I'm so glad that we can pronounce some of our countries. Uh, we hear them telling in our own language the mighty works of God. This was a miracle. Why was it a miracle? So remember, for this festival, the international diaspora of the Jews come together and these people are born in that particular country. So the native language is very strong, right? And so when they were saying, they're saying, how did these Galileans, you know, when, you know, that might sound a bit derogatory. Actually, they are looking down on Galileans. How did this country fella, how did he know his radius of you know, influence is about three, four kilometers. How did he know an international language? It's like going to our villages back home and somebody speaking French. I mean, talking about real village, 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 right? Somebody speaking French is impossible because you'll say, you don't, you don't even have access to internet. How did you ever get that? You see, there was a miracle because uh, this is something, someone like me trying to speak Hindi. You know, when you, any one of you here speaking, uh, you know, hear me speaking Hindi, you'll definitely know that I'm not a native Hindi speaker, right? I had to learn it for 12 years. My second language was Hindi. I struggled, right? But at the same time, we want to remember this, that you cannot learn a foreign language instantly. Uh, I remember when I was in UK and I was going down, um, I think the streets just to buy some stuff and sightseeing. And when you walk around, you know, you are in this foreign place, it's all English. Then suddenly somebody from Malayalam will be like, who's that Malayali? You will hear some Malayalam. That's the link. So I want you to imagine this. When that diaspora is together, they are hearing native language. Impossible. That's why it is a miracle, right? And when one experiences a miracle like that, what would be our response? What would be our response when we 
experience a miracle. Let's see what these guys had in mind. We're, uh, continuing to verse 12. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said, they are filled with new wine. Miracle responses, two options. One is you're awestruck, perplexed, wondering what's going on. The second one is, I've labeled it as denial by alternate theories. We love theories, isn't it? Anything we have an opinion, we have a comment. We'll have to comment something on something. How is the banana? Banana is not ripe. It's not ripe because we always have opinions about something because we want, and, and, and that's okay. But when you see a miracle, the fact that we would deny is because you don't want to admit it. You don't want to admit that something supernatural is going on there. And all that you can come up with is, or they are just drunk. They are absolutely drunk. Now, can you imagine alcohol having the ability to really empower you to speak languages? Wonderful. We all wouldn't need to go all these second language, third language classes. And that's, and that's the part they came with. They are drunk. We can look around the world today. We can look around and either ignore the reality that this is a miracle. We can ignore the reality that the precision with which nature goes by clock and the fact that there is a distance between the sun and the earth and the moon and you know one degree change causes trouble that we wouldn't exist today. The precision with which when I have a cut on my hand and my system inside designed by someone looks like it goes to clot that blood so that I don't bleed further and I continue to live. Intricate design. What does that tell you? You know, I remember the time when we first uh, went to the ultrasound room for our first child. We were expecting, and we, we, we had a child after four years. And I remember the first time that you hear the heartbeat. The heartbeat during the ultrasound singles. You'll get to know this one day. Wait, 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 wait for a while. But that is an exciting experience. It's a moment that makes you cry. I remember that time when I saw that, I said, Man, I would be just be out of my brains to believe that this was random happen chance evolution. It would be out of my brains and I said, wow, this is impossible. You know, the best illustration comes from two men called Francis Crick and uh, James Watson. If you have heard of them, they are two uh, Nobel Prize winners, scientists um, who worked on the DNA. And, and, you know, they are the ones who discovered that DNA has a double helix structure. And if that's way beyond understanding, they just discovered that there is huge amount of genetic code, right? Huge amount of genetic code in that DNA in each single cell. Now, Francis Crick discovered that, and you know, when you discover that, it's actually a, against something called evolution, because evolution was based on Charles Darwin's theory of a simple cell. Now, when they analyzed the DNA, it was way too complex. And this is what um, Crick quoted. The world does not contain the chemicals necessary to generate the DNA. It's too complicated. Um, I reckon that when you see the miracle of DNA, you might not attribute it to God. Right? I mean, that's fair enough. But if you see a complex design, what would be an 
what would be the one thing that it will point out to without using the word god a designer or a you need an intelligent designer to create a design a complex design cannot be without an intelligent designer that's the minimal that you got to go there from there you start exploring but instead crick writes a book francis crick writes a book that expounds a theory called directed panspermia and so you know when he observed the dna what was his conclusion aliens seeded the planet aliens i mean you want to deny god you don't want to accept that there is a miracle there all that you will end up saying is aliens seeded the planet no matter when and where you live there's one thing for sure you will pe find people who will watch a miracle and they'll say oh they are drunk we got to be in the first category awestruck and wondering what's going on now peter gets up obviously when they hear that peter gets up and gives an explanation starting in verse 14 so just read along with me but peter standing with the 11 lifted up his voice and addressed them men of judea and all who dwell in jerusalem let this be known to you and give ear to my words for these people are not drunk as you suppose since it's only the third hour of the day third hour of the day means 9 in the morning nobody drinks at 9 in the morning and then he talks about the prophecy of joel uh, in the old testament about the coming day of the lord and this would be a day in which god would pour out his spirit on all his people and he would explain that prophecy um and then uh, he would give that explanation then he gets into the sermon beginning in verse 22 so this is peter's sermon peter's sermon can be broadly divided into four parts most of the sermons in the book of acts has this model it's a template it's called the kerygma if you've heard of that word that's a great word to remember four things about the kerygma or what the first sermon looked like this is the first sermon in the church i think it was an 8 minute sermon based on that but no maybe 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 not uh number one jesus lived and sometimes they talked about the miracles he performed number two is jesus died uh, they would always point to the fulfillment of prophecy as per scripture and third one is jesus was raised from the dead sometimes emphasizing that he's exalted at the right hand of god indicating authority and number four is an exhortation or a call to repent and to be baptized okay now let's trace these four things jesus lived jesus died jesus was raised from the dead and a call to repent and to be baptized let's trace that uh, from verse 22 onwards read along men of israel hear these words jesus of nazareth a man attested to you by god with mighty works and wonders and signs that god did through him in your midst as you as you yourselves know so there is point 1 there is jesus lived and all the miracles and the other attestations verse 23 this jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of god you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men there is point 2 jesus died now verse 24 and i'm going to combine it with verse 33 to talk about the third part where it says god raised him up losing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it so jesus was raised from the dead this is point 3 and from verse 25 onwards peter explains some more prophecy which is david's prophecy and if you go down to verse 
being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Now from 36, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And what does Peter say? Peter said to them, here is point four, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children, and for all who are far off, you heard about Jews and Gentiles, far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. I just want to spend uh, some, uh, a few minutes on the word repentance. When you think about the word repentance, when I was a child, I thought repentance was all crying. I don't know, some weird thinking. And when you come to scripture, I want you to remember this one thing. Repentance means you turn. You turn. Why? Because it is a change in mind that leads to a change in direction. I was walking this way and now I am taking a U-turn. Repentance is exactly that. It's change in mind leading to a change in your action. If you look at the passage, the passage does talk about repentance um, of sins. Verse 38 talks about that. But is that what Peter might be echoing loudly? If you look at the core of the passage, if you look at the majority of that sermon, all that he talks about is Jesus. He talks about Jesus, he talks about how people have misunderstood who Jesus was, and uh, Peter was inviting them to consider Jesus, change their thoughts about Jesus, and receive forgiveness of sins. It's a misunderstanding of Jesus. The Philippian jailer asked, what shall I do to be saved? These guys are asking, brothers, what shall we do? You know, when you are convicted, when you have heavy guilt running, what do we do? Repentance is probably not the way because this is it's way too simple. You know what's the alternate? We jump to something called moralism. Now, moralism is expressed in two ways. Number one is penance. And the second one is good works. I'm going to talk about it. I want to talk about penance and good works. The dictionary definition of penance is punishment inflicted on oneself as an outward expression of repentance for wrongdoing. It's punishment inflicted on oneself. So in penance, what do you do? You punish yourself. I'm such a lousy guy. All that I deserve is to be somewhere else. Let me punish myself. For we ground ourselves. We say, no, you, I don't deserve to be here. Let me just go away. I deserve what I'm getting. 
The alternate is always this, that in self-penance and punishment, you are continuing to sulk, you continue to cut off socially. What, why do you do that? Because you want, to, you want to pay for that sin that you have committed and now you are just feeling miserable about it and I am going to stay hanging there. I don't know when I will be relieved, but at some point I will feel better because it, you know, something happens, you, you forget about it. We ground ourselves. Now the, the other part is penance and then there is good works. This is the other part that we will end up doing. We end up giving money away whenever we feel bad. Um, you know, one of the biggest miracles that uh, people talk about, oh, do you see miracles? You know, what is the biggest miracle that could ever happen is to, you know, when Philip has a problem with uh, um, Justin, for him to walk from here to there is a miracle. Because you see, in my own ability, I don't have that. I don't want to. My ego says, who is he? He did wrong. And so you know what we do when we have our devotions and the Holy Spirit speaks to you through those scriptures and say, uh, Philip, you blew it with Justin. And even though you only had 5% responsibility and 95% was his problem, the Spirit would convict you saying, hey, you own up to your 5%. So go apologize. But you know what we godly people do? We'll continue reading two more chapters. We want to feel good. Because that's more harder. The miracle is to get up and do it because only the Holy Spirit can empower you to humble yourself and apologize even if you're 5% of the problem. Right? You can apply this in your marriage, okay? Penance and good works is nothing but moralism. And the gospel is not moralism. Jesus Christ did not come to teach us moralism. The gospel is an invitation to consider Yeshua as the Lord and Christ, the Messiah, who came down to rescue us and restore us back to our Father. We were under a debt that we could never afford to pay. And Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us on our behalf and he took upon himself our sins and he paid the debt in full. And those who trust in this gospel, those who receive this kerygma, Jesus lived, Jesus died, Jesus rose again. Those who receive that fully have eternal life, a restored relationship with the Father. My dear brothers and sisters, the default alternative in our brokenness is always to turn to moralism. And, and the scripture appeals to us, don't turn to moralism. Don't self-punish yourself. Don't do good works because you're trying to overcome something. When Jesus in, is in you, he becomes your righteousness. And out of his power, you do good works. It's a resultant, not that which confirms it. We are saved unto good works. Don't mistake that. Repentance is you turn. Now about baptism. I believe we are well aware of baptism. We have had classes and uh, uh, God willing next week you're going to uh, see at least three more baptisms. Uh, we hope more of you would uh, um, consider that. Uh, literally baptism means to dip or to immerse. Figuratively it also means to identify with someone. It's identifying with this idea of the kerygma, identifying with Jesus that he lived, died and rose again. So baptism is an outward sign of an inward change. Baptism is an outward sign of an inward change. 
the order is important. Baptism always follows repentance slash belief. So it's, it's an important order. Let me conclude. Who is Jesus? This response is very vital and it impacts your eternity. To those of you who do not know Yeshua or Jesus or have a very false view um, of Jesus shaped by the media, um, shaped by your family of origin and background or your friends or whoever, as this passage points out, it's important question for each and everyone on earth to answer. Who is Jesus? There are only three ways to view him. Either, like Josh McDowell says, he's a liar or a lunatic. And if, and if, he, and if he was a liar, would these apostles, I'm going to see that thought, would these apostles have died for a lie? And did they die regular deaths? They, they died cruel deaths. Sans John, but he had a difficult time. How could, if he was a lunatic, okay, how could he be the most important figure that divides time into BC and AD? We are on January 2nd because we can recognize that simply because of Yeshua that divides time. I'm not sure if lunatic people would be considered to do that. All I'm saying is, do your homework about Jesus. For those of you who do not know Jesus, do your homework. Search the scripture and look at who Jesus is. For believers, you know, one way that we can end up viewing Jesus is this genie cosmic vending, cosmic vending machine. I need God because I want to live a great life here on earth. I want to do well. I want to have my 3 BHK. I want to have my car and I want to have a great marriage and I want to go have vacations. Not bad in, none of those things are bad in itself. But somehow we think that we have to appease this God, some form of moralism that plays in our hearts. And so we read the Bible, at, you know, two chapters a day to keep the devil away. And we have this thing that if I don't, all bad things will happen. That's not Jesus of the Bible. That's a Jesus in your own image. I just want us to consider this, that if we have a wrong view of Jesus, the way that we live here on earth will be defeated and it will be a life that absolutely has no hope. Jesus is not only about rescuing about the future, he rescues you now. He gives you hope over the hell that you and I are living in right here on earth and he gives us victory. Consider Jesus. The only right way to consider Jesus is just like Peter says, he's the Lord and Christ. That he lived and died. Um, he did various wonders and signs. And uh, he was raised from the dead as per prophecy. And now sits at God's right hand. When he came 2000 years ago, he came as our savior. Joel's prophecy has a near fulfillment and it has a far fulfillment. Near fulfillment happened here. But there is something that's going to happen. The sun will be darkened and the moon will become red. It's the glorious second coming of Jesus Christ. And, the, and when he comes then, he's coming to judge. As we summarize, what did we learn today? Pentecost reminds us of two promises that were fulfilled. 
Number one, the Holy Spirit was given. And number two, it was the birth of this church. As we begin this year, we echo with Paul in Philippians 3, 1 to 13, forgetting what is behind, we strain on to what is ahead and participate in his work on earth to draw people to his kingdom. The book of Acts is known as Acts in your book. Some Bibles use as Acts of the Apostles. I think it is Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles. And has it ended with Acts? The two main stars in the book of Acts are Peter and Paul. But the Acts of the Holy Spirit continue through each one of you. It continues through Ajit. It continues through Justin. It continues through Abhishek, through Ebirajan. It doesn't, the, the Acts of the Holy Spirit are working through you. Now the only question is, the purpose of Acts chapter 1-8, if you see that, it's about to be a witness. So when the Holy Spirit lives in you, that the Spirit of Jesus lives in you, your life will be a witness. And that's our invitation this morning. An invitation to be a witness in your neighborhood, in your workplace, in your schools, in your colleges, in your own family, in your own homes, and in India, and to the outermost parts of the world. Wherever the Lord is calling you and sending you this year, Wherever you are, be that witness by allowing Jesus to reign in through you. Shall we pray? Dear Lord Jesus, we thank you um, for reminding us that you keep your word. Your promises are ever sure. Lord Jesus, I do not know who in this crowd would have struggles and difficulties as they, as they went through the last year. I just pray, O oh Lord, that you would remind us of that very fact to forget what is behind and strain on towards ahead what is ahead to to for our upward calling in Christ Jesus that Lord as we begin this year we would walk in full dependence on you Lord that we would be filled with the spirit that we would do those acts that would cause people to scratch their heads and wonder why are you doing that in the places that you send Lord, reign through our lives. We ask that you would take glory in our lives and everything that we would do. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.